to Pride in Protest, the podcast. Pride in Protest acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on Aboriginal land, land that was stolen and sovereignty never ceded. This particular episode is recorded on Wangal land. Pride in Protest is a Sydney-based collective of activists who campaign for refugee rights, Indigenous justice, and recently won a position on the Sydney Mardi Gras board. Well, as we see restrictions beginning to lift as the country reopens from the coronavirus shutdown, the future of sex work is still very unclear. In this episode, we speak to Mish Pony from Scarlet Alliance about the difficulties sex workers have faced with the changing regulations under COVID, the lack of clarity the industry has about when they can reopen, and what rights for sex workers still ultimately need to be won. I'm your host for this episode, Charlie Murphy. I'd like to give a special shout out to Fran Japani for being on the ones and twos on this episode. Now, over to the interview with Mesh. All right. Hello and welcome to Pride and Protest, the podcast. This episode, we have our guest, Mish Pony. Mish, welcome. Thanks for having me. Mish, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do in the organisation Scarlet Alliance and what Scarlet Alliance do for those who might not be familiar with it. Cool. Well, my name's Mish Pony. I'm a Sydney-based uh, queer trans woman sex worker. I've been in the industry for about 10 or so years and I've also been involved in community organising in the LGBTIQ and sex worker communities for about that time as well. Um, at Scarlet Alliance, I'm the trans sex worker representative um, and so that aims to educate the broader sex worker community and the general public about issues affecting trans sex workers, as well as providing input into the Scarlet Alliance leadership on issues affecting trans sex workers. Scarlet Alliance is the national peak body for sex workers in Australia and is made up of individual members and member organisations, projects and collectives around Australia. And we have a variety of projects that um, aims to assist with the goals of the organisation. So we run the Red Book Online, which is an online sexual health resource, resource for sex workers. And in the past, we've run a migrant sex worker project and some international projects. And we do a lot of community development and capacity to build, building and um, work to decriminalise sex work throughout Australia. So just a few things, <laughs> just a couple of things. That's pretty busy. So sex work... Uh, refers to a number of different practices of work. Um, since the uh, COVID pandemic has started and changes have come in instituted by both federal and state governments, what areas of sex work have been most impacted um, by the COVID pandemic? Yeah, so as you said, sex work has a wide variety of practices and not all of them require you to be in the same physical space as another person. For instance, online sex work and um, telephone sex work and sexting, that can all pretty that can all happen um, without being in a room with another person. So it's the sex work practices that are in person, so private sex work, brothel-based sex work, stripping, etc., um, that have been most impacted by the COVID pandemic and in lots of those instances, have been outright banned by state-based governments. 
So as you just said, there have been some states um, that have outright banned those practices. Um, in Australia, we have a state-by-state -state model for um, regulating uh, escorting. Uh, how have each state's reactions to escorting during COVID differ? Uh, and have some reacted more strongly than others? Yeah, so I suppose escorting typically means um, private sex workers either going to clients um, at a hotel or at the client's house or can also refer to clients visiting um, a private worker at their own workplace premise. Um, and across yeah, Australia, in some states, um, doing private sex work is still legal um, under the COVID restrictions, and in others it's banned. So, for instance, Victoria, um, across the board, in-person sex work is banned and the policing is quite strong down there. Um, we've seen police looking through ad advertising and calling up sex workers who they perceive as still advertising, right. um, not necessarily charging them, just telling them that basically to take down their ad because it's illegal at the time. Right. Um, and for instance, in Queensland, um, at one stage advertising was illegal, but then it wasn't. And so things change on a day-to-day -day basis and it's quite confusing to keep up to the best information. And it's also, of course, different across Australia. And so, you know, sex workers are receiving um, conflicting messages and most sex, well, not most, lots of sex workers do tour across Australia. And so those state um, demarcations um, do, do mean a lot to their business. Yeah, and I guess that those reactions from states, would you say that um, the conditions or the regulations around sex work that were in those states previously to the COVID pandemic have kind of informed how strict their reactions will be? Absolutely. So, for instance, um, Victoria and Queensland have licensing models, so they already have the infrastructure in place to... Um, to monitor sex workers and make sure they're complying with the regulations. And so um, for COVID, when there's new regulations, they're actively um, enforcing those specifically for sex workers. So it's not like um, it's a, a whole industry, a workplace approach where it's um, a unit looking at all workers. It's a specific sex industry um, task force, I suppose. Um, but for instance, in New South Wales, where sex work is decriminalised, um, there's not that sex industry specific focus. Yeah. So when we look at, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, kind of from the federal government and from state government, they've put out their roadmap from um, uh, the recovery from the lockdown. Those, um, those sex, sorry, what, what, were the, what were they called? Sex premises? Sex industry premises. <laughs> so, as we've seen from, um, from the federal governments and state governments, they kind of have a roadmap um, out of COVID and for businesses to reopen. Um, how have sex industry premises appeared on those roadmaps or perhaps not appeared? So from the federal roadmap and the individual state-based roadmaps, on stage three of the easing of restrictions, which is the last um, stage that's recorded, um, brothels and sex industry premises are still closed. And so there's no clear pathway from um, that third stage to a full reopening of 
society, I suppose, um, and there's no timelines given. So it doesn't give any clarity to sex workers and there is a perceived um, discrimination based on what is allowed and what isn't allowed in those roadmaps. Um, for instance, I think it's um, bathhouses and other um, spaces which do have a close proximity of a number of people um, do get to open, but sex industry premises um, where it's really often just a one-to-one -one interaction um, aren't allowed to open. Yeah, and um, I've already heard of uh, many brothels that will simply be closing their doors because they don't know um, mm -hmm. when, when they're going to reopen. So let's talk a little bit about um, how, because of COVID uh, having both a um, public health and an economic impact um, on, on people and workers, uh, to talk about the response from the government in basically ensuring people have jobs, et cetera, et cetera, um, how that relates specifically to sex workers. So when it comes to uh, the, the main government, federal government programs of uh, Job Seeker and Job Keeper, how would you rate that as being, um, being helpful to sex workers? Yeah, so um, sex workers in Australia who are eligible for government assistance could apply for um, JobKeeper if they're a sole trader and they have an ABN and they have record of income and are able to show that drop in income, or they can apply for JobSeeker if they're um, a sex worker and they no longer have a job. However, um, there's a lot of sex workers in Australia who aren't eligible for these programs. They might be on um, tourist visas or just not eligible for Centrelink in the same way that an Australian citizen is. Um, and also there's a lot of barriers for even people who are eligible for the programs in meeting the criteria about proving that, you know, you did have a wage, now you don't have a wage or um, yeah, other proof of income issues. Yeah, it's, I guess, one of the problems of, you know, when we're talking about those that are eligible, obviously it's those that are only eligible in places where it's legal to do sex work. Um, is that correct? Hmm. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think that is the case. For JobKeeper? For, um, for JobKeeper, job I am... Hmm. Actually, I don't know the answer to that. I'd have to look that up because, yeah, it's a it's a federal program, um, and so you're not reporting to a state based body. But then, if by reporting to a federal body that you're doing something illegal in the state, yeah, like I guess if you are a, um, you know, say that you're working in South Australia yeah. as an escort, mm -hmm. you're not registered as a sole trader. I mm. mean. You might register as a sole trader as a different type of worker, yeah. not necessarily, but, I mean, how many workers would mm. do that, I guess is the question. Yeah, but I suppose even in South Australia, it's not the fact that you do sex work um, that criminalises you. It's this raft of legislation about being on the premises known to provide sex sex services or sex industry services that's illegal and those types of things. And so by declaring um, an income from sex work, you're not necessarily incriminating yourself on those illegalities. Yeah. <laughs> Get back to you. <laughs> so outside of these, um, these programs where, um, you know, as you mentioned, there will be many people 
who fall through the cracks mm. um, in terms of their eligibility for these programs and also I think um, the time in which they'll expire um, while um, a lot of confusion um, around what can and can't be done for sex work still exists. Uh, what support for sex worker has arisen um, from places outside of these governments during the pandemic? Um, or for example, Scarlet Alliance, in partnership with many of the state-based sex worker organisations, um, is managing a chuffed campaign for sex workers in Australia who aren't eligible for government supports. And so that's a fundraiser which receives funds from the general community as well as sex worker communities, and then disperses funds on a weekly basis to applicants. Um, and so there's a process where um, applicants register and then a committee that is based um, up of representatives from sex worker organisations uh, makes decisions about who um, can or who is and isn't eligible for the funding. But of course, um, it's community funding, so there's never enough funding to cover everyone who needs it. And it's a very limited pool and it's a weekly disbursement. Um, and so that, you know, can't, can't assist everybody. Um, and there's also, you know, we've seen other um, organisations that are doing COVID um, relief um, extend that support to do specific sex worker um, support. For instance, I think it's the Addison Road Pantry um, has, you know, given food hampers to the local state-based sex worker organisation to give out to sex workers who are doing it tough. I mean, yeah, so there's a range of community initiatives. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's so good to see these kind of, these forms of mutual aid and forms of kind of connections between groups and people um, form and, and, and form networks of solidarity. Um, but considering that we can only give so much, as you said, in our own networks and, and in our own community, uh, what extra protections for sex workers uh, is Skull Alliance demanding that will protect the material safety of sex workers during this time? Um, so, of course, Scarlet Alliance um, would like to see on the roadmap a time when sex industry businesses are opening. Um, we would like JobKeeper and JobSeeker to be more accessible to sex workers and to continue until a time that the businesses are open and flourishing and able to support sex workers. Um, yeah, and I suppose Scarlet Alliance has always been in favour of um, anti-discrimination protections. And whilst it's not a COVID-specific issue, um, it's definitely thing something that, you know, as times get tougher, we see um, discrimination or the fear of discrimination increase. And so we'd like to see those anti-discrimination protections um, in place for sex workers across Australia. So you've touched on there on a couple of... Um, uh, goals that are in the long term for, for Scarlet Alliance. I imagine that COVID has probably shifted your attention um, somewhat, but what are, the, um, what, what are the goals and the projects that are ongoing um, for Scarlet Alliance? How might achieving those goals protect sex workers from other crises in the future? Yeah, so as I said, um, Scarlet Alliance is in favour of anti-discrimination protections. We're also fighting for, um, in partnership with state-based organisations and projects, fighting for uh, the decriminalisation of sex work across Australia. So at the moment, it's only decriminalised in New South Wales and most recently the Northern Territory. What is it, sorry to interrupt you, what is it about the decrim model that makes it 
the ultimate model for sex work. Um, decriminalization removes any sex industry specific legislation and allows the industry to be regulated like any other industry through existing um, workplace legislation. So workplace health and safety regulations, um, council planning, um, etc. And so it allows sex workers to access those um, employee or subcontractor protections through fair work, etc. And so it really says that your sex work is is a job and should be regulated like any other job. It also allows sex workers to access um, the police and other justice mechanisms without um, implicating themselves in a crime. Um, and we know from extensive research that licensing models and criminalisation are also a barrier to um, accessing healthcare for sex workers. And so it's um, best place to reduce incidents of STIs and HIV. I suppose one issue that isn't state-based is um, anti-trafficking interventions which affect migrant sex workers. And so there's a lot of rhetoric around Australia and indeed the world um, that positions migrant sex workers um, as a whole as victims of trafficking and lacking in agency. Um, and I think this stems out of Australia's broader um, anti-immigration um, mindset and also um, this, you know, discrimination levelled against migrant workers in all areas. But for, in particular, for migrant sex workers, it positions them, positions them as victims of forced trafficking. Um, and we see even in cases where sex workers have come to Australia to do sex work, um, they're still, you know, tied up in these prosecution, these anti-trafficking prosecutions because um, it force isn't always um, necessary for it to, to be put into this anti-trafficking framework. Yeah. I guess, you know, when we look at decrim as not having, not being specific legislation that, you know, suddenly issues of migrant um, protection becomes a, a, a broad movement of, of protecting migrants as workers if, if there is a full decrim model. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen some recent victories with, um, with decrim uh, in the Northern Territory and unfortunately um, a loss uh, in South Australia mm -hmm. not too recently. How does the landscape of decrim look at the moment? Um, and is there an advantage to having a state-by-state -state model or would, um, would, a, would a federal decrim act uh, be possible or desirable? Um, so at the moment it looks like, um, so Victoria is undergoing, um, I don't know if it's an inquiry, I think it might be, um, into um, sex industry regulation and it looks like there is um, a good chance that decrim will happen down there. Um, other uh, campaigns that are underway are Queensland has a very vibrant um, decrim campaign, um, but of course there's always decrim campaigns where there isn't um, decrim, but even in states where there is decriminalisation, you still have to maintain that pressure to ensure that a licensing model doesn't sneak in or some form of regulation that's um, detrimental to sex workers. And on the car, uh, and at decrim federally, well, I, I don't think that is possible in the current um just the way the states are set up. And I suppose then it's a, it's a broader question about 
um, state sovereignty. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably that's not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, we're getting a little too high-minded. <laughs> yeah. So um, being the trans representative for Scarlet Alliance, um, what are the specific issues that face trans people being in the sex work industry um, and have any of them been exacerbated by the COVID pandemic? Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose, um, you know, there, there are a range of issues specific to trans sex workers. One is potentially um, a very limited number or a lack of um, non-private-based workplaces. So I think there's maybe only one or two brothels in Sydney at the moment that have um, that are specifically designed for or set up for trans sex workers. And um, they're also very strange because they combine trans uh, women sex workers and gay male sex workers, which I don't think I have seen anywhere else. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know if there are, there are brothels that have both cis women and trans women in the same location, which mm. if you really start that, yeah. I mean, in general, it's very... It's very, it's very strange. Yeah. No, in Victoria, in Melbourne, I've worked at a, at a location that had cis women, trans women and cis men. Um, and I think there, there might be one or two that still exists, the place that I'm thinking of closed down ages ago. Um, but, yeah, it is always very interesting to work at a, <laughs> a trans brothel. Um, and there's very limited in number. And so if, you know, that place doesn't work out for you, um, or doesn't have the right vibe for you, then you don't really have any other options but to go private or do street-based sex work, which is only um, legal in certain circumstances in New South Wales. Um, other issues, of, um, I suppose, you know, there's the ongoing issue of transphobia at work and, you know, and um, transphobia from clients and how you want to engage with that because it's quite dif- different if you're um, putting your income in danger to fight to fight against transphobia or, um, you know, arguing with management around um, transphobia because, you know, you're in a vulnerable position as a subcontractor. You're not really not even an employee. And so whilst there are limited protections for employees, it's even harder as a subcontractor in that environment. Um, Other issues would be, I would say, um, advertising. There's um, very limited advertising spaces for trans sex workers. And I would say particularly since Cracker and Backpage shut down, once they shut down, I actually, I didn't have any advertising up after that because I, you know, was A, lazy, but also really didn't know where to turn and didn't keep up to date of where best, um, where was the best places to advertise. And that was all the basically the only places I got work from. Um, And other issues... Hmm. I suppose, yeah, it's like that, just that compounding discrimination of um, whorephobia and transphobia. So accessing healthcare is um, difficult, accessing Centrelink, you know, I suppose it's like these, one barrier is imagined discrimination and that fear of going through a door because of past discrimination. And so, you know, people might have had great experiences um, at healthcare services or at Centrelink, Um but, you know, you're putting yourself at a risk to go in to access those services um, all the time. And so, you know, it's quite difficult to access the services that are theoretically available. Yeah. And I guess when you mention kind of those compounding discriminations, you know, if you're a trans sex worker and, you know, um, you can't access a trans-specific brothel, 
Um, you know, you have a problem with housing, it's not possible, you know. So issues of employment and housing and healthcare um, you know, all, all compound in a way that it's like you couldn't do private tax work because, you know, you're li less likely to have somewhere that's suitable to do something like that. Um, yeah, lots of issues. Um, I guess as a final question, you know, if we were to have, you know, we touched on some elements of it before, but what would be the ideal place of, of sex work in an ideal society? You know, what, 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 would, what would the, the dream scenario be for sex work functioning in society? Mm. So I would say sex workers um, have access to the same protections that every other employee um, or subcontractor does, is able to access justice and healthcare and government supports and housing without fear of discrimination. I would say that the, um, that sex workers working in brothels as subcontractors have, and subcontractors, I think as a general, it's not just about sex workers and brothels, it's about, you know, Deliveroo and Uber drivers yeah. and subcontractors across the board have better um, industry protections because I think um, as a whole they're quite, quite vulnerable to exploitation. Um, and I would see the anti-trafficking um, hysteria has... Um, been resolved <laughs> and <laughs> migrants have access to accesses, uh, sorry, access to workplaces in Australia and aren't discriminated against, aren't feared, aren't marginalised um, and there's um, easier migration avenues um, and yeah, workplace businesses are thriving and are controlled by collectives of sex workers and we're breaking down the barriers between um, management and sex workers and Everything's great. Yeah, some, um, some co-op brothels would be, uh, be be pretty awesome, I reckon. Um, wow, Mish, thank you so much for coming on um, with Covered Heats. Uh, that first fundraiser that you mentioned, we will be putting that in the show description. Um, so if you would like to support sex workers in this time, um, please click that and send me what you can. Again, Mish, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Well, a short and sweet episode of the pod for you this week. And some good news. Since we recorded this episode, the roadmap has been updated and sex industry businesses are actually now included in stage three due to hard work of a number of sex worker activists. In New South Wales, sex industry businesses can open from 1st of July, provided they have a COVID safety plan implemented. Well, if you would like to follow what Pride and Protest does, uh, please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pride and Protest or on Instagram, our handle is pride.in.protest. Pride in Protest hosts rallies, actions, and many, many more things. And we will see you for the next episode of the pod very soon. See you later.